0: From Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard, and I'm Clark Corbin. And it seems like for the uh, first time, almost in the history of the Extra Credit podcast, we come before you with all four university presidents' positions filled. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's been a while. It's been seventeen months here here for you know for Boise State University waiting for a president. News finally came down on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, unprecedented turnover at the higher education level, Kevin, and our colleges and university presidents. Um, Talk to me about who Boise State chose to be their next president, and then we can get into a little bit about uh, the contracts and the benefits and the expectations moving forward. But what was the big news early this week? Okay, so here's where we use really careful articulation
0: and and diction in the podcast. Uh, The new Boise State president's name is Marlene not Melania, Marlene, Trump, not Trump. It's, somebody's going to get this wrong. I, I've looked at my stories like six or seven times, and I've looked at tweets six or seven times. Marlene Trump comes to Boise State from uh, the University of California at Santa Cruz, where she has been a, a, a provost and a, and a top administrator. Uh, she comes with a very strong academic background in uh, an interesting uh academic background. Uh, She sort of took a a course, uh, modified her academic course over time, went from thinking about being pre-med to uh, starting to study literature and starting to study 19th century literature, and that became her area of focus. So it comes with a really strong academic background um, and really got an enthusiastic greeting on Tuesday. This was, um, as I described it in the story on Tuesday, this uh, announcement had elements of a pep rally. It it took the State Board of Education only three minutes to conduct its business on Tuesday afternoon, to conduct the actual meeting, to offer Trump the contract, and that's counting the interruption for applause. Yeah. <laughs> Emma Ashley, the board member who made the motion to hire Trump, had to stop because the room, and this is the, the ballroom at the, the Stuckel Sky Center at Albertson Stadium, which is a big room, and it was pretty much full. I, I, my count is probably more than 200 people were there, students, faculty, staff, wild applause. When uh, Trump's name was mentioned, so she had to stop, <laughs> stop mid-motion, and people, I think, were were hungry to get a change. <laughs> we're hungry to get some closure on this because, as we mentioned, this has been you know eight, 17 months in the making since uh, Bob Costura announced his plans to retire. The state board has done. Two rounds of searches yeah. for a, a president at Boise State. so I think there's uh, definitely there was a sense of closure here, but really more than that, I think it was just a sense of genuine enthusiasm. People are really the people who showed up anyway were really enthusiastic about this hire. I talked to um, a faculty member afterwards who said from everybody he had talked to in the community, he was hearing that Trump was the the candidate people were most excited about because the candidates come in they do. They do meetings with faculty, with staff, with students. They they make the rounds. Um, So definitely a a buzz surrounding Trump and and surrounding the hire. I talked to Linda Clark, the state board member who uh, headed the search, and she went back to what um, the the state board talked about a year ago, and and you covered it a year ago, Clark, when they, they said, look, we've looked at our candidates, we've looked at our finalists, we just don't feel we have the right fit yet. And she said, we feel like Trump is the right fit. We like her academic background. We like her uh, commitment to innovation. That she's done some innovative programs. She's started some new programs at uh, Santa Cruz, and before that at Arizona State University. They, you know, they want somebody who will bring an innovative. Uh, mindset to the presidency at Boise State because, as Clark put it, this is what uh, the university community really seems to want. They want an innovator. They want somebody who's going to break the mold a little bit.
1: I think this was the headline generating hire that the state board in Boise State University were looking for for several reasons. Uh, It's a significant hire. I believe she's the first uh, woman president of Boise State University. Uh, She's fairly young as far as Uh, university presidents go, bringing some energy and innovation. And I just want to contrast the scene that you laid out from earlier this week, what, Tuesday, I want to say, versus a year ago when I went for the announcement when they had, and I'm not trying to disparage any of the four previous finalists from the previous abandoned president search, But when I showed up to the Stuckel Sky Center, when they were down to the finalists and down to make an announcement, maybe word had leaked out a little bit that they weren't going to name a president that day and they ultimately did not. There were not 200 people in the room. There were not 20 people in the room that day. Um, And I think that there was a sense, look at the trajectory that Boise State has been on under the last, say, 10 years or more under President Kustra. Growth uh, to become prominent on the athletic front. uh, Growth on the academic front. They had set record uh, student enrollment. They're investing in capital programs on campus. We We see the Fine Arts Center Mm -hmm. uh, going right up uh, along town every day as I come in to work there. Uh, coming down Vista, going onto Capitol, going into downtown. I think Boise State is in an aspirational position. I think it's looking for a new leader to take the baton from Custra and lead growth uh, on forward. Uh, And and I think they were looking for a wow factor. I think they were looking for an innovator, somebody from perhaps a big program, somebody from perhaps a big university that folks had really heard of before that was Mm -hmm. kind of on the map. And so while there wasn't that excitement a year ago, I think there is this year, and so I just kind of wanted to contrast the scene that you painted from Tuesday versus what I saw roughly a year ago, and maybe that previous search was compressed a little bit because of the timing of former President Custer's announcement, uh, there was a lot going on, but I, I, I think that it's night and day, uh, the difference between the previous search that played out over a year ago uh, to this search and, and to the end result just by the way you set that scene
0: right and i think that was one of my takeaways from tuesday from going there was the the buzz the enthusiasm and it wasn't just relief that a new president is in place but enthusiasm over who the new president is my other takeaway you know often when you have a new leader introduce himself or herself to uh the community and they make introductory remarks they're not terribly enlightening they're they're nice they're you know they set a nice tone but they don't really give you much of a sense of where this uh, person is coming from and what their background is and how that informs their you know how they're going to approach their job i got a, a genuine sense from trump about her own life story and how that will affect her as a president. She talked about being a high school student herself and she's a first generation college student and she talked about being baffled and overwhelmed by the process of applying for college. Something we hear over and over from from counselors and kids just how intimidating the process is. So in her case, she had a guidance counselor take the lead on her behalf and do the applications on her behalf and pay the fees even to up, you know, Get her applied to colleges because the counselors saw that, you know, here's, here's a student with a lot of potential. Yeah, got to get this student going to college. And Trump talked about eventually she had to decide where to go. And her father was skeptical to the point of saying, I don't know how this is going to work out for you. You have to go to a college that's a day's drive away from where they live, which is Green River, Wyoming. And there isn't a whole lot. That's a day's drive from Green River, Wyoming, as far as universities are concerned. Yeah, you're not driving to Harvard from uh, from Green River, Wyoming. So she wound up going to Creighton University, which is in Omaha, Nebraska, and that's where she got her undergrad degree. But you talked about how that changed her life, and I had a chance. uh, We had a little media uh, gaggle after her announcement, and you know, just briefly had a chance to ask her a couple of questions about how that informed her approach to issues we talk about and write about all the time, the go-on rate, the college completion rates, um, and she said, well, first thing it reminds me is sometimes it just really matters to have an advocate, to have a champion, and, you know, that counselor was, was her advocate and her champion, and talked about, well, we need to figure out how we're going to reach out to students, you know, at the, ma- at the macro level, how are we going to get more students Engaged, involved, enthusiastic, excited about going to college because there are too many students and, and parents who just don't see it as a priority, and so I got a, a real sense that you know here's somebody who gets it from from personal experience that this isn't easy that this is uh, this is hard for kids and for parents yeah. to navigate, and I, I think that. Given the state's challenges on this, uh, with, with the go on rates, with the post secondary completion rates, having somebody who's who's come come through that personally, I think is really uh, I think it's really powerful. I was, you know, that was my takeaway, uh, one of my takeaways from from Tuesday.
1: Yeah, very different reaction than say the reaction at the NFL draft when your New York Football Giants made their first round yeah, selection. Yeah, that was that was <laughs>
0: that was brutal. But no, but you know, and I, I you know. Dropping the New York Giants for a second, really, because I don't want to even go there. Um, You know, the sense that I got, not just from from Trump's announcement Tuesday, but when C. Scott Green, the new president of the University of Idaho, was introduced a couple of weeks ago. I was listening to that on the feed from Moscow. Also Also, appeared to get a a very enthusiastic response. sang along, you know with with the students a vandal alum
1: ties to the community yeah right they did the fight song
0: together and they had a moment and he talked about his time you know that his grandfather had been the athletic director up there and that you know this is kind of you know it was coming home this is where he wants to be this is where he wants to stay that he has a lot of uh, affinity for the community and the, the campus so i think both these prisons come in with you know, definitely there's going to be a honeymoon period with, with the respective university communities. And, you know, that's uh, that's a good place to start. And we'll now see how they build off of that and what they do and what they try to do and how they, uh, how they approach the jobs.
1: Yeah. Uh, a lot of enthusiasm coming in, uh, starting off on the right foot. Uh, looks like they'll be welcomed in those university environments. You had another article uh, that you published on Friday, taking a look at some of the contracts for these two presidents. President Trump at Boise State University, President Green at University of Idaho. In a lot of ways, that's a piece that's really good to read online over at the homepage at uh, IdahoEdNews.org. But I wanted to ask you just about a couple of the highlights, just real mile high level stuff that you may have noticed. Uh, You had a chance to look at both of those contracts at this point. Yeah, the quick highlights, uh, both Trump and Green will make more than
0: their uh, their, yep. their predecessors. Uh, Trump's uh, salary comes in at four twenty five dollars uh, per year, $425,000. Uh, Green's salary comes in at $420,000 per year. Um, one clause that you do see, well, two clauses that you see in, in Trump's contract that are unique to her situation and, and her background there's a clause in her contract that would allow her to uh, stay at Boise State as a professor if she retires or resigns as president. The Chuck familiar, Staben clause. It's, well, it's the Chuck Staben. <laughs> yeah. Chuck Staben is using the mm-hmm. clause. It's not
1: unprecedented and it's not right. unique to him. And what It's I heard kind of an the, industry standard. Mike Dickler exactly. called both of us on Thursday. He's the state board spokesperson. Kind of an industry standard, and the way he explained it to me uh, was that they wanted to remain competitive uh, right. in this it's, job search process, and they didn't want to lose candidates by not having certain incentives, and so that's how it's kind of explained to me. It sounds like
0: if you want to get a would-be university president from academia, you have to allow... And provide for that possibility for a soft landing yep. uh, after the presidency. So that's in Trump's contract. It's not in Green's contract because, as you recall, Green teach. is coming from a law firm, uh, from an administrative job with an international law firm. So he's not a professor. Right. So he doesn't have that clause. Another difference in those contracts uh, Trump will receive $60,000 a year in a housing allowance. Um, that's higher than customer received. It's more than double what customer received for a housing allowance. It reflects what's going on in the, uh, the housing market, the uh, real estate market in the Treasure Valley. Uh, university presidents are expected to entertain in, in their homes, and uh, that's part of the job. And unlike uh, Green at uh, University of Idaho and uh, Kevin Satterley at, at Idaho State University and the president at Lewis Clark, uh, uh, President Pemberton at, at Lewis Clark, those three presidents have university; uh, they have presidential residences right. on campus or near campus. No such uh, residence at Boise State, so the president does have to um, find <laughs> find a house, and uh, that sixty thousand dollar a year um, allowance covers that. That'll make some local real estate agent happy this yeah, summer, some, I somebody's going to get a decent commission, <laughs> you would think.
1: All right, sounds good. If you want to know a little bit more about some of the incentives and some of those clauses that are in the contract, like I said, head over to the homepage mm-hmm. at idahoednews.org. You've got a good breakdown of both President Green's contract and President Trump's contract, yeah. so you can check that out at the homepage. Let's stick on the topic of higher education because you had an interesting report about some FAFSA numbers. I want to say that's the free application for federal student aid or mm-hmm. thereabouts. Yeah. That is, um, But that, that's a big part of a young person's journey to college, uh, kind of at the beginning. But tell me what the numbers say uh, and, and what you found as you continue to report the story a little bit. Right. So these are important numbers to look at because
0: they're sort of an indication of uh, how many high school seniors are contemplating college, making plans uh, to potentially go to college. So right now, more than 9,300 high school seniors have filled out a FAFSA um, that comes to about, I want to say about uh, 42% of the class of t- 2019 has filled out a form. That's about as many students as filled out a FAFSA last year by May 31st. So basically, the state board's about a month ahead of schedule. The state is about a month ahead of schedule in terms of students filling out a FAFSA. So the numbers are up. Uh, state board... Released some corrected figures on Friday. So the increase isn't as stark as it appeared at first, but it is still an increase. And what's important about that is for the students and for their parents, if you don't fill out a FAFSA, you can't qualify for any kind of federal aid. And here we're talking about grants, we're talking about low interest student loans, work study jobs. Uh, You can't get any of those. You can't get any of that federal aid. Speaking personally, that's what made it possible for me to go on uh, to college. Uh, Yeah, I I got all of the above and would not have gone otherwise. Um, You also have to fill out a FAFSA if you want to uh, get an Idaho Opportunity Scholarship. So so the students who don't fill out a FAFSA and are trying to go to college could be leaving thousands of dollars on the table. Yeah. but students who are filling out the FAFSA, it's an indicator that they may indeed be planning to go to college. Yeah. State Board is encouraged by these numbers because it it translates into maybe a little bit more interest in college. They want to see what happens between now and August, September, and October, and do these seniors, you know, follow through and attend college. But some encouraging figures, and we break it down and we um, go into what may be causing this. That it may be a variety of initiatives and a variety of state programs that are starting to perhaps pay some dividends.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. We always, uh, you know, go on rates are important. That's a closely tracked metric. Uh, As we talk about seemingly every week on the podcast, the state's number one goal for education is a population goal uh, to have 60% of the state's young adults hold some sort of a post-secondary degree, like a four-year degree would count. Also a technical certificate, uh, a post-secondary certificate would count. And Idaho has stubbornly not been able to see progress for years and years and years, significant progress anyways, for years and years and years. So we, we've tracked that closely. Um, higher education is, is something that you've followed, and so thanks for uh, right. the, keeping tabs no, on that. Thank you.
0: And these those are numbers that have been grim for years. I mean, yeah. the, the completion numbers, the go-on numbers haven't been moving. So that's why any kind of signs of improvement in terms of students filling out a FAFSA it's not surprising that the state board is is hoping that the, that's a good sign moving forward that that's a, a step in the right direction. We'll, we'll see what the numbers translate into. Idaho has historically had fairly low FAFSA completion rates. A lot of the Western states do for whatever reason. So any signs of improvement are, you know, are, you know something we're going to watch. We're going to see what those uh, completion numbers look like by the end of the the school year, because, and this is important if you're a parent or a high school senior and you haven't filled out a FAFSA yet, there's still time yeah. to apply for federal aid. The, um, the deadline is passed for the state scholarships, but uh, the federal aid deadline is June 30th. So the state board is watching the numbers and thinking that there may be more students who apply between now and June 30th. And if you're on the fence, um, you know. It's, it's free, might it's as well. A, it's a free application. It's not an easy application, I can attest to that. Uh, having filled it out for my kids but it is free it is uh, you know and it's an opportunity for the college bound to see if they are eligible for some help from the federal government
1: yeah you can check online check with your school's guidance counselor if you want more information about that it is intimidating and time-consuming but it's also free and it may you know present you with more information that uh, maybe some good news you weren't necessarily expecting or realizing So uh, check it out. Research it online. Check with your local guidance council if you'd like some more information about that free resource there. So the session is
0: over, but there's still some post-session fallout occurring, and part of it was uh, on Tuesday. uh, Governor Little got out of the state house and went to his hometown and met with locals, and you tagged along. So Clark, give us a sense of uh, what the governor had to say about the just completed legislative session and uh, about education topics.
1: Yeah, this was the Capital for a Day program. Uh, We had seen this under uh, some of the previous governors. Governor Otter did this. um, Some other previous governors did as well. But basically, it's a symbolic effort for one day to take uh, the governor and some of the top cabinet members, some of the other elected officials to all... To different communities throughout Idaho, and sort of dubbed that the capital for a day, uh, to meet with locals almost in like a town hall forum, uh, talk to them a little bit about the session, get their questions, find out what's on their mind. And so that happened in Emmett on Tuesday out in Jim County. I went out there. That's obviously uh, Brad Little's hometown. And it was very obvious, if you did not know that bit of trivia, that it was Brad Little's hometown Because not only did he know enough people in the audience that he was able to call on most of them by their first name, a lot of them did not refer to him as Governor Little, but Brad. Uh, And so obviously, these are people that had grown up together and known each other for generations and, uh, you know, seen each other at the coffee shop and at the high school football games on Friday. And so uh, a close-knit community. And so that was kind of interesting, almost like the hometown boy coming home, a hero. Um, And they gave him one of his old library books back, didn't they? That was the funniest thing uh, from the whole time. Uh, Ann Jocelyn, the state librarian at the very end, surprised Governor Little and presented him uh, with an old library book that he had checked out from Emmett High School in either 1970 or 1971. I believe it was called Adventures in English Literature. And Ann Jocelyn pointed out that because the the borrower's borrower's card was still attached to the front of the book, and she pointed out that when Brad Little received the book, he received it in bad condition, but by the time the next kid checked it out, it was in very bad condition, and so they had a little bit of fun uh, with that, but a lot of questions... just means he loved the book so much. (laughs) That's what he said. He said because he was just reading so much that he was just glued to that book, and and so it went through a lot of use, but that was a, a very funny moment from the end, but A lot of questions about education, uh, particularly early childhood education. Mm -hmm. One of Governor Little's top priorities from the legislative session was obviously his kindergarten through third grade literacy initiative, uh, where he was able to secure, I want to say, $13 million in additional state funding uh, to double the literacy investment. Uh, He was asked about that by a local Head Start teacher. And uh, he said, we're looking to have kind of an all-encompassing plan. Uh, School districts could take that money and do all-day kindergarten. They could do summer reading programs. They could hire additional staff uh, to decrease class sizes. And so he said he wanted to see what the different ideas are from the different communities. And uh, I met with the local Head Start teacher who asked that question. And she was actually looking for more of a, hey, are we going to do anything... Pre-kindergarten, right. uh, she was interested in the social-emotional development of children, getting them ready uh, to go to school and succeed. Saying that, you know, maybe that could actually help bolster the literacy program because if those social and emotional development isn't there. Uh, you know, maybe the literacy effort wouldn't be as effective. So far, Brad Little hasn't really engaged on anything concrete with pre-kindergarten. He's focusing on the existing K-12 system, particularly uh, the K-3 literacy initiative. Uh, that was one of the big topics. Um, also, a lot of questions about growth, uh, growth in the state of Idaho, growth in government, population growth. Questions about Medicaid and health and welfare, Mm -hmm. as you would expect. Also, several questions about marijuana legalization. And Brad Little made no secrets that he said, listen, if Idahoans are thinking that they would like recreational marijuana, uh, not during my administration. They they elected the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of questions about growth, about education, about where the legislature goes next, um, health and welfare and Medicaid in particular, uh, those were kind of the topics of the day and, and so in that way it was sort of like a, a microcosm of the legislative session. And I guess the thing that was most interesting for me uh, was to get out of Boise and to hear from folks in other parts of the yeah. of the state and, and granted you know I was able to get there in about an hour. so it's not like I you know drove over to chalice or up to North Idaho or anything. but it was just kind of interesting to see, what was on folks' minds outside of Ada County. Uh, and so I, I liked that and I thought that was cool.
0: And the thing that kind of jumped out at me, and, and it, it alludes to a story that you have at idahoadnews.org that you wrote on Wednesday, for all of the furor and hubbub right. at the end of the legislative session about administrative rules and the fight between the Senate and the House that now involves the governor, to, you know, about implementation of agency rules, didn't come up at Capitol for a day. It didn't come that, up in Emmett. That's not didn't keeping play.
1: folks up at night in Emmett, it, it, at least not yet. But th- I've written two stories about it in the last two weeks. Uh, the background is the legislature left town uh, and basically left town saying, hey, all agency rules can expire. Uh, it's up to Governor Little to reauthorize them. Uh, but we, but the legislature typically, traditionally, every year, uh, passes a bill at the end of the session. They call it the drop-dead bill that basically formalizes the work to reauthorize all administrative rules, all state agency rules each and every year, did not do that this year. We've talked a little bit about the fight between the House and the Senate, uh, about particularly the influence uh, that the House and the House Education Committee would like to have over rules, and so that's what we're talking about here. We did get a little bit more detail from the governor's office about how before July 1st he will decide which agency rules to reauthorize and which ones to let expire. He's actually asking state agencies to come up with a list of outdated, duplicative, or irrelevant rules uh, that could be candidates for expiration. He will review those. But the bulk of the rest of the rules, some 8,276 pages, we expect to be reauthorized. And then that will kick it back to the legislature for an additional review next year. So that could really be Uh, It's hard to predict because this is all new, but that that could be a, a significant part of next year's legislative session and it could take a significant amount of time if they do in fact review all agency rules. Why are rules so important? Because they affect Idahoans' lives in so many ways. Academic standards, what was once called Common Core standards, took the form of agency rule, the science Science standards standards. that have references to... uh, There was that hot debate about global warming, fossil fuels, human impact on the environment over the previous three Three legislative sessions. Three long years, and we could be back at it next year. That took the form of agency rule... Immunization rules for children, our agency rules, state fees, Medicaid eligibility, health and welfare rules. So you those name it, it's there. Those those carry the force and effect of law, and they really affect Idahoans every day, even if it's something that you don't necessarily think about. So nobody really asked about that in Emmett, uh, but we have been tracking this process. And the thing that the governor, two things that Governor Little has said before I move on that I want to emphasize, he said. I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this to happen. So I don't think this was some coordinated effort behind the scenes between the House and Governor Little. It does not seem like he wanted to deal with this. It also seems like it will be a significant administrative burden uh, for his office, for the state agencies, and for the public notice requirements. that will be coming up in June to reauthorize these rules. Uh, that was the first thing that I noticed about Governor Little emphasizing. The second thing was he said, I want to assure Idahoans that there will be no disruption in state services, no disruption in state government uh, as we tackle this process. So it seems like this is not something he's necessarily looking forward to in his first year of governor, but it's something that the legislature placed in his lap and he's going to have to act on because the legislature left town without acting on it. If you want to find out a little bit more about that, it does get a little complicated, but I promise you uh, it's a big deal because of how much it could affect Idahoans lives and because of this review process we want to watch it closely both at the governor's level this summer but certainly when all the rules even rules that have been on the books for years and years go back to the legislature for review next year we're going to want to watch that closely and I know you and I will spend a lot of time watching that process probably at the beginning part of the 2020 legislative session. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a big deal uh, looming, but we're getting a little bit better sense of how the executive branch is approaching it. But we'll continue to watch it. Looking ahead into next week yep. and a little bit of this week, uh, Superintendent Cherry Barra has begun her post-legislative roadshow going around the state explaining what happened at the 2019 legislative session as it pertains to education You'll be there on monday uh the tour continues in boise in boise
1: yep i will be there on monday we'll have full coverage ybarra and many of the officials and officers from the state department of education will be there this is really an event um i guess anybody could go but it's really an event geared towards school administrators school board members principals To help them get geared up as they prepare to wrap up the school year and look ahead to the next school year. To kind of help get them geared up for the budgetary changes that will be coming next year. We know there will be more money the state will be pumping out for state teacher salaries, for Mm -hmm. instance. But really to get geared up for the new budget requirements and the new laws that will take effect over the summer while schools are on summer break so that they can get ready to kind of plan ahead for the end of this year and the beginning of next year. So I will follow that closely. That's Monday in Boise. There will also be events in Twin Falls and Idaho Falls later in the week. She was up in North Idaho this week. Uh, The tour will continue and then wrap up next week. I'll be there Monday. We'll have an article by Monday evening, Monday late afternoon, with highlights from the event and some photos. I'll let you know what questions the superintendent got and uh, how the superintendent uh, chooses to highlight developments from the session. So we'll be there uh, to cover that. You can look for that at IdahoEdNews.org. Certainly by dinnertime Monday that will be published. A lot more to catch up on
0: this week at IdahoEdNews.org. Just quickly uh, want to refer you to a few articles that are that are definitely worth your while. We talked a little bit about literacy earlier in this uh, podcast. Sammy Edge takes a closer look at what that literacy money might mean in terms of full-day kindergarten. We're hearing more and more about full-day kindergarten programs popping up across the state. That's, uh, that's one option uh, under the new literacy program with the new literacy money. So she yep. takes a closer look at that. She's also got a closer look at the ongoing situation at Fruitland High School with the former superintendent, Mike Fitch, and his contract buyout we've got the details on that if you go over to my blog you can also get caught up on the political flap uh surrounding student paintings at wood river high school and blaine uh, county in the sun valley area yes so we have uh the latest on that you also get a look at a couple of the uh the paintings in, in at the heart of the controversy That's all at idowidnews.org.
1: Sammy had another fun story. Uh, Students in one particular school district on Thursday, rather than ride the bus, they rode a tractor to school on Thursday. Sammy Edge was there. If you want to find out which school district that took place in, and if you want to see a couple of fun photos, check out Sammy's story from Thursday about students riding tractors to school. That would have been a fun assignment. That was cool.
0: She had a lot of fun with it. She was talking about it after she got back to the office. So that's a fun read. Lots of stuff this week. A lot to get caught up on at the site and
1: who knows what we'll all have next week. We will have well, definitely
0: have stuff next week. We'll no be back about that.
1: We'll be back next week with a brand new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. In the meantime, you can stay current by giving us a follow on Twitter at IdahoEdNews where we break the biggest stories and live tweets and big meetings. But as always, thanks so much for joining us on Extra Credit. We have a lot of fun breaking down this complicated intersection of politics and policy and enjoy that you guys come along for the ride, whether you're listening to the podcast regularly or following us on, following us on social media or reading the homepage. We sure do appreciate it it means a lot to us Uh, thanks as always i'm clark i'm kevin have a good week